We invite you to open up the Bible with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 7 uh, today. It's good, be, good to be back uh, in the pulpit. It's good to have the opportunity to preach this morning. And a special thank you to Nick Seaman for preaching last Sunday uh, in my absence due to illness. But we continue on our track this morning in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we'll be leaning into one verse uh, today, a well-known verse, and that's chapter 7, verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And as you find your place in that uh, portion of the Bible, let me invite you to join me standing uh, for the reading of, of God's Word. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Jesus said, He said, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Would you pause with me for prayer? Father, we pray that you would guide us now, that you would speak to us now through your word, through the reading, the proclamation of your word, for the glory of your name, the good of your church, the growth of your kingdom. So uh, speak to us now, Lord, for we are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We may be seated. We know this text. Uh, we, we love this text. The golden rule uh, a label that, um, interestingly, uh, didn't derive from its value as a moral principle, but uh, from the practice of a Roman emperor in the third century, Alexander Severus, who adopted it supposedly as his motto uh, and inscribed it in gold on the wall of his palace as well as uh, on the walls of other public buildings. Uh, today, even unbelievers know it. For as a moral principle, it's been woven into the very fabric of societies. I was at a ballpark yesterday over in Hoover, and I noticed when I went up to the concession stand window, uh, guess what was there on the window? Uh, the golden rule. It said, treat others how you want to be treated all the time. That was the message. We, we know this. Some version of it's found in nearly every major world religion as a standard of conduct. Jesus said, so in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. Logic suggests it's a good principle to live by, right? For if we're kind to others, they're, they're going to be kind to us. If we're mean to others, soon we're going to have no one who cares anything about us. But the point that Jesus is making here goes deeper than that. It's grounded in knowing the God who saves. In other words, because we know God our Father who has selflessly attended to our needs, we have a firm foundation and motivation from which to care for others. Said another way, since God gives to meet our needs, we should treat others as we want to be treated. Since God gives to meet our needs, we should treat others as we want to be treated. God's word didn't come to us as a plaque on a wall or a random collection of principles, but in a context containing a storyline, and in this case, a clear principle at a particular juncture in Jesus' sermon. And so if we want to truly understand what he's saying, we need to consider the context. I don't know about you, but sometimes I use uh, Bible gateway uh, 
to to look up a Bible verse on online, and sometimes if you uh, if you if you know maybe a phrase of a, a scripture passage and you don't know where it is, you can't recall where it is, and you type it in, uh, it's going to pull it up. So if you go in and you type in Jesus wept, it's going to pull up uh, uh, John chapter eleven. Uh, verse 35, and then it's uh, it's going to say something like this underneath it. It's going to say uh, verse uh, in context or whole chapter. And if you click on in context, it's going to give you a little bit of the context. It's going to give you the verse right before it and the right uh, the verse right after it. And in this particular case, if we look at the verse right before it, it's it's helpful. Jesus said, He said, "If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give?" Good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. In other words, our our father's character, who's, who's a good father, who cares for his children, his character, specifically here, his generosity. His generosity is the foundation from which we hear the golden rule. And it ought to be our motivation as his people, for obeying it. Since God gives to meet our needs, we should treat others as we want to be treated. You see, God's righteous activity provides the standard for his people. God's righteous activity provides the standard of righteousness for his His people. We're not God. None of us are God. Yet we were made in the image of God. The Imago Dei, created to be in relationship with God and to reflect the glory of God, to reflect who He is to others. And so, therefore, the communicable attributes of who He is, things like His love and His justice and His mercy, His kindness, His grace, uh, meaning those things that were breathed into Adam by God, making Him in God's image, are to be mirrored in us. They're to be reflected in us. We don't possess these things to the degree that God does, and especially since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, but we are to reflect Him in these ways, to testify to the character of our Creator. And so when it comes to righteousness, the idea of doing what is morally right, God's activity provides the standard for his people. In other words, in order to understand perfect righteousness, we need to look to God as the one who sets the standard and who always conforms to the standard. And God's standard of righteousness, according to Jesus, isn't a self-righteousness. It's not um, external religious activity. It isn't Uh, the public display of piety mastered by religious professionals. Jesus has already said in chapter 5, verse 20, he said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that, unless it surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven at all. Now these folks, religious elite, the Pharisees and the teachers were experts at the outward observable components of God's law, yet they were rich in pride, pursuing self-glorification rather than God's glorification. God's not interested in that. God's not interested in hypocrisy. Jesus has made that abundantly clear. He wants 
our hearts. So the surpassing righteousness Jesus commends in the Sermon on the Mount is a demonstrated righteousness. It's a demonstrated righteousness that is the outworking and the overflow of a proper relationship with the Lord. One that begins to reflect the character and the righteousness of God. Jesus has said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So moms, dads, just as our parents, just as our our kids reflect us more and more, the more they hang out with us, the more time they spend with us, so we too ought to reflect something of God. We began to reflect the character and the righteousness of God. The more that we cultivate a relationship with Him, the more that we spend time with Him. Every other expression of the golden rule prior to Jesus was stated in the negative. I'll give you a couple examples. One from Hillel, who was a renowned Jewish rabbi, uh, in the generation leading up to the time of, of Jesus, he said this. He said, what is hateful to yourself, do to no other. If it's hateful to you, don't do it to anybody else. What is hateful to yourself, do to no other. He says, that is the whole law, meaning God's law, and the rest is commentary. He said, go and learn. Or Confucius, Chinese philosopher, about 500 years before that, 500 or so B.C., said, what you do not want done to yourself... Do not do to others. It's just a couple of, of examples. Stating the rule in its negative form was common. But Jesus elevates the standard. Puts it in its positive form. Do to others what you would have them do to you. See, the negative form is common sense. It's a way of living without which society would collapse only requiring refraining from certain actions, something for which the law and the fear of punishment can compel us. But fulfilling the positive form requires something altogether different. Helping others. Serving others. Is that which only love can truly compel us. A love not natural to sinners. Unattainable to those not captured and compelled by a greater love. You see, on our own, we cannot fulfill God's standard. God himself sets the standard. But on our own, we we can't fulfill the, the standard. I can keep the negative side of the principle with myself at the center. Right? Not hurting others because I don't want to be hurt. Stopping at the stop sign because I don't want to crash into somebody else. Avoiding slander because I want to live a peaceful life. Paying my taxes so that I don't get fined or go to jail. But I can't keep the positive side of the principle so long as I'm at the center. I can't sacrificially love and care about the hopes and the dreams of others if I'm consumed with myself. I can't love my neighbor as myself if I'm primarily interested in me. So the golden rule, or this Everest of ethics, as one person called it, and clear expression of the surpassing righteousness that Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, condemns human goodness by exposing 
our human failures to live up to the standard. Like a straight edge, the golden rule exposes how crooked we really are. They use story to illustrate a number of years ago. I don't know how many, probably 12 or 13 uh, years ago. In the first uh, home that uh, Ashley and I owned, it was a townhouse, had a steep hill uh, off the back of it. And a, a buddy and I uh, decided probably late one night, this was before kids, that uh, we should build a deck on that hill. Um, there's nothing else that you can do with it. We had no experience in this, but you know what? I think we could tackle this. Let's do it together. Let's learn together. And so we embarked on that journey together, neither of us with any experience at that time in construction at all. And so two students who are also working, when do you work on such things? Well, you do it at night. Right? You do it when you have a few minutes. And so that first uh, few minutes that we had, we went out and we began digging a hole uh, for a post to support a little landing that then is going to have a stairwell that comes down onto this this deck. And so we dig and we dig and we dig and we dig until we're tired of digging and we don't want to go to bed with just a hole. And so we said, let's, let's put a post in that hole. Let's put a post in the hole. Let's uh, put concrete around it. Let's get it secure. I think we did two or three maybe that um, that first night. They're uh, secure in the ground, a couple feet in the ground. Well, we wake up the next morning and we go outside with a little light cast on it. And you know what? The post looks like this. It's crooked. The light of day exposed the crookedness of our efforts. Likewise, the light of God's word exposes the depth of our sin, the crookedness of our efforts. In fact, the Bible says it like this in Romans chapter 3. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law of which the golden rule is a summary statement. That's what Jesus is saying here. This summarizes the law and the prophets. In other words, this is, this is an expression, a summary of, of the Scriptures. It exposes our crookedness because none of us have measured up. On our own, none of us can supply an inward perfection that fully reflects God and His standard. Even Paul would say this in Romans 7 verse 10, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death by revealing that we have fallen short of God's glory, earning His judgment. And yet it's precisely in that state, church, That dreaded state of condemnation before a holy God that God himself comes to meet our need through the life and the death and the resurrection of a Savior. Oh, church, you know his name. He is Jesus the Christ. And praise God, Jesus embodies the golden rule and empowers his people to practice it. Jesus embodies the golden rule. He comes and he... He lives it out. The only one to live it out perfectly. He embodies the golden rule and he empowers his people to practice it. Jesus comes to do for us what we could not do. To live the only truly righteous life. Ultimately, in order to lay down his life as the righteous substitute for sinners. Exchanging our sinfulness for his righteousness, his holiness, in accordance with God's plan and in fulfillment of God's promises 
so that we might turn to Jesus in faith and thereby graciously be granted entrance into God's eternal kingdom. Friends, this is good news. This is good. This is gospel news. The Sermon on the Mount is meant to drive us to Jesus, to reveal the depth of our failures, yet the wonder of God's provision, to see the perfect embodiment, the model of faithfulness to God in the life of Jesus Christ, and to be moved by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to live out the kind of life that pleases the God who not only made us in His image, but saved us in His Son. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You see, God did not save us to remain in our sin. He saved us to make us like His Son so that we might live out the golden rule. God rescued us. He met our deepest need to make us like Jesus. Since God gives to meet our needs, we should treat others as we want to be treated. 20th century British minister D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, after all, the law was not meant to be praised. It was meant to be practiced. Our Lord Jesus did not preach the Sermon on the Mount in order that you and I might comment upon it, but in order that we might carry it out. Jesus carries it out. He embodies the golden rule. And Jesus empowers his people to practice it. For God's people are those who repent of the wrongs coming to faith in Jesus, receiving life in him, called and equipped to then and only then live out God's righteous standard presented in the sermon by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit living in them. Paul would say it this way in Romans chapter 8, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, here's what he's saying. The standard, God's perfect standard of righteousness is met in Jesus Christ. It's met in him. The the righteousness required is perfect love for God and perfect love for neighbor. And that requirement is met for us in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus provides the righteousness for you and for me. John would say it this way. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, Friends, see the Father's love for you. See the Father's love for you. I know Jesus is talking here about doing to others what we would have them do to us, but we we can't begin to even go down that road in any sort of effective way or God-honoring way until we first see how the Father has cared for us, the Father's love for you and for me that led Him to plan and promise and provide His only Son to save you. See His love. And receive his love. Believing Jesus has indeed died for you. See his love. Receive his love. Rest in his love. And be compelled by his love. To love your neighbor. To love your neighbor as yourself. You see God saves us as we are. But he doesn't leave us as we are. 
It continually conforms us by the presence and power of His Holy Spirit to begin living out the kind of righteousness that God requires. Because God doesn't quit. He doesn't give up on His children. And so the same God who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. This is where He's taking us. So let's surrender to Him. Let's invite Him to conform us and to change us and to transform us from the inside out, inviting Him to take up residence in us in order that we, like our Savior, might treat others as we wish to be treated. By God's Spirit of grace indwelling in us, may His people called Meadowbrook glorify God by acting for the benefit of others. May we be a people who glorify Him by acting, by living, by speaking and doing for the benefit of of others. May we be known for this, church, by God's Spirit, by His grace. May we be known as a people who love and care for others. So as people drive down this road and they see this church up on the hill, they may say to themselves, well, you know, that's not the smallest church. That's not the largest church. That's not this kind of church or that kind of church. But you know what? That's a people who love and care for others. They must know something of the character of God. Since God gives to meet our needs, we should treat others as we want to be treated. Church, the Father sent the Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's how he treated us. And John says, dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Oh, may we love one another and others. May we love one another and others, doing to others what we would have them do to us, because God lives in us. And his love is being made complete in us. So in everything, church, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So as we think about even responding to the truths of God's word, the truths of Christ, truths from Christ. Today, I think there's a number of ways that we can respond. Certainly first, if if you don't know his love, put put your faith in him. Receive the undeserved, gracious gift of salvation from the Most High God who reigns on high. Receive His love by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, perhaps begin thinking about how you can do unto others as you would have them do to you. Acting kind toward others, encouraging others, speaking to others, sharing and showing the love of Christ to others that He might use you to extend the gospel on your street, in your job, in the marketplace, wherever the Lord leads you. And if you know the Father's love, if you know that you've been rescued by Him, then He is certainly worthy of your praise. So may we express our praise to Him together through song. Oh, Father, lead us now, guide us now. Hear from us now 
as you have spoken to us through your word. Stir us to praise you. Give us faith in you. Lord, stir us to give you what you are due and to live in ways that reflect your grace. Oh God, lead us now. Take our lives now. Mold us, shape us. Use us for your purposes, for your will. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.